That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, they were called the Dark Ages. Does anybody know why they were called the Dark Ages? No electricity. That, that's true. There was no electricity. Um, it, that term was originally brought up by a, a classical scholar that um, considered the Greek and Roman eras the flowering of civilization. And with the fall of the Roman Empire... Um, Culturally, in one, in one area, culturally, just everything became stagnant. There wasn't much happening. There, um, there just wasn't a lot going on that was good. Religiously, um, it's called the Dark Ages because it describes... Really, the thousand-year reign of the Roman Catholic Church, and we're going to get into that, and it was a very, very dark period in history. Millions of believers were killed during this time. And what helped usher this in was the collapse of the Roman Empire. And... Um, that, without a doubt, was the onset of, um, of the Dark Ages. The Roman Empire was a, a fantastic empire in its glory. But um, the collapse of the Roman Empire is something that we can all learn from. Gibbons wrote a book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, and he identified five reasons the Roman Empire fell. And um, you notice as we go through these, number one, the rapid increase in divorce that destroyed the sanctity of the home. Number two, the mad craze for pleasure that grew more brutal and bestial every year. Number three, a vast armament program intended against an enemy without, when the real enemy was the decay of the citizens within. Number four, higher and higher taxes that finally consumed the commonwealth. And number five, the decay of religion to the point that there came to be no difference between the lives of those who had it and those who did not. Now, I was going to say, what are your thoughts when you read that? Um, it, it's just uncanny. And one thing you never learn from history is to learn from history. And um, we, are, we are plunging into this... Um, repeating this. Uh, I didn't put these up on the overhead, but um, there are... Uh, James Nelson Black wrote a book uh, a number of years ago, Ten Warning Signs of a Culture in Crisis. Let me just quickly read through these. 
Number one, a crisis of lawlessness. Number two, a loss of economic discipline. Number three, rising bureaucracy. (laughs) Do we need to say anything about loss of economic discipline and rising bureaucracy? Number four, decline of education. Five, weakening of cultural foundations. Six, a loss of respect for tradition. Seven, an increase in materialism. Eight, a rise in immorality. Nine, decay of religious belief. And number ten, devaluing of human life. You take those ten and you take the five things that led to the fall of the Roman Empire and... um, What was that? And it doesn't bode well for us. And yet, we're barking up the wrong tree. I mean, in fact, we're plunging deeper into the very things. I thought number four up here, higher and higher taxes that finally consume the commonwealth. Um, And there's a number of other things. Uh, We're not going to spend a a whole lot of time on this, but... um, The Roman Empire, long before the Goths and the Huns and the Vandals overthrew the Roman Empire, they basically had dry-rotted from within. And uh, long before America falls, America has fallen. And God clearly spells out that, um, you know, if you're going to turn your back on me, I'll turn you over to your own ways. And, um, you know, the, the aspect of um, understanding in, in our day today, um, we, we have in Washington, which is representative of what we have out here, uh, the greed, the self-centeredness, the lack of economic discipline, and so on. And... Um, and in understanding that, that God is at work there and uh, God, is, um, God governs the affairs of, of mankind. Any other comments on this aspect before we move back to the dark ages? I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean literally we're moving, but we really are. We may have electricity, but it, 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 we're moving toward the dark ages. Dave. And uh, I'm sure he'd say, yep, <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, it's really self-incriminating, it's really clearly evident, and, and yet there's no turning, there's no turning, and the sad part is, those... 
those five things that are there, you can, you can read them off, not about America, you can read them off about Christianity. And that's what's even more dismal than, than anything. Because if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? Well, you know sound economic advice is if you're in debt, the cure to that is spend more money, right? <laughs> and, and, and it is. We've, we've, we've violated God's principles so much that the hole is so deep that there is no getting out. And, and yet, God is in control of all this. And... Um, I rejoice that our citizenship is in heaven. And, um, you know, in these ages that we're dealing with here, um, the Roman Empire fell, and as a result of it, the political and economic and cultural infrastructure of the Roman Empire collapsed with one single surviving institution coming out of that, and that was the Roman Catholic Church, which assumed a greater and greater um, political power. Again, the, the union of uh, church and state. And um, in 610 A.D., Another development in this religious vacuum of the Dark Ages that was dominated by the Roman Catholic Church. And, and you had, as we've seen already, you've had all these uh, groups of believers scattered throughout that were just committed to the, the Bible way, um, but were self-governing and, and autonomous and so on. But there was a great void. And in 610 A.D., a man by the name of Mohammed, who was greatly influenced in his early life by uh, Jewish people and by Christians, he referred to those people as the people of the book. That's how he re referred to those. But he came to prominence in 610 A.D. and incorporated... Much of the much of the Bible into his teaching, except this part. 
He dethroned Jesus as God and instead elevated his tribal moon god, Allah, to the stature of Almighty God. And um, this is where Islam got its start in 610 A.D. And do, do you understand the overall scope of all this? We're talking spiritual warfare. And from Genesis 3.15, when the serpent was told that Satan would crush him, Satan has been out, and we're not going to take all the time to point it out, but he's been out trying to stop Jesus Christ and then trying to stop the work of God all throughout. And here raised up a prophet, so to speak, and took a, a lot of things from the Bible, but made sure that he removed the deity of Jesus Christ and replaced it with his tribal moon god, Allah, as the Almighty God. Islam was propagated by the sword, and they conquered much of the Middle East, Egypt, North Africa, and Spain, in a 100-year period, by, six, by 711 A.D., they had conquered much of the Middle East, Egypt, North Africa, and Spain. Now, remember, we're talking last week and the week before, we talked about the work of God in, in North Africa and in a lot of these areas. Um, they, they're... Their advancement was done through the sword. It was done through conquering, bringing people into subjection. And, um, and today, instead of conquering by the sword, they basically have conquered Europe. And they haven't done it by the sword. Islam is conquering a decadent, zero population growth in Europe through two means, immigration and having kids. And, you know, there's nothing that stands alone in, in life. And when, when through luxury, we as people become self-consumed and, you know, we see children as a bother or an accessory, and you come to the point where a society has a zero population growth, and, and we are there in America uh, to, have, to have zero population growth, um, you have to have, to avoid that, you have to have more than two kids. And because two kids, it doesn't just replace you. But Europe has, has declined and really they're in horrible shape because immigration of all the Islam people coming in and, and they are reproducing and Europe has not. And um, Islam is, um, is a alive and well not just in Europe, literally around the world. 
But this is where it got its start. And we're not going to do a study on Islam here um, because that could be a long, long series. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, the Dark Ages really saw some continual battles. In Jude, one of the latter books written in the New Testament, he wrote to them and said, earnestly contend for the faith. And we're going to list some of the, um, some of the battles of doctrine that took place during these dark ages. The Roman Catholic Church established their leaders, established the Pope, the infallibility of the Pope eventually came along and so on. We've already seen that one of the major doctrinal heirs was infant baptism. And in 416 A.D., just prior to the Dark Ages, it was made a law that babies had to be baptized. They had to be baptized into uh, the Catholic Church. Now, as we go through these uh, doctrinal heirs, I want us to think of Scripture that can be used to earnestly contend for the faith. So, how would you answer someone that said, well, I believe in infant baptism and baptismal regeneration or whatever? How would you answer that? Well, where do you get that? I mean, that's what your church has taught you, but my church teaches. Well, where do you get this stuff? Only a believer is supposed to be baptized. Pardon? Yeah, what's our basis for this? It's easy for us to say only a believer can be baptized. Okay. Anybody else have any? What scriptures would you use? Okay, okay, that if you're justified by the law by doing something, all right, any other verses that you'd go to? I didn't anticipate we'd run into a roadblock on this one, okay? Well, he didn't need to be saved, though, because he was perfect. Okay. 
That's what I'm asking. No. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, use some deductive reasoning. Where do you think that would have been? Okay. What book is that in? All right. Acts gives you a lot of good good things of what the early church did, all right? And um, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, but we're making it harder than it is, too. In an epistle, yes. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace... Are you saved through faith? How did a baby manifest faith? Well, I manifested faith for them. By my faith, I had them baptized. You can't, get, you can't save people by proxy. Mormons are doing it today. They're getting people baptized in the temple today to get their dead ancestors out of purgatory, I guess. We'll get to that here in a little bit. But, um, you know, there were, there were believers all over the Roman Empire that knew why they believed that infants, it's not biblical for infants to be baptized. And um, you can go at it from the aspect, what is salvation? And uh, the aspect, um, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And, and the whole verse there shows it, it's on belief. But um, at any rate, that was one of them. In 451 A.D., just before the Dark Ages, the practice was borrowed from the pagans, which eventually led to many other heresies. But the church started the exaltation of Mary, the mother of Jesus, blessed art thou among women. And they started um, the worship of women. Um, Not women, the worship of Mary. Okay? Okay? Where would you where would you go for that one? This this eventually led to saints um, being worshipped and images. Okay, okay, that's one aspect. Um. What, what reasons, some of you grew up in Catholicism, what reasons do they give for their veneration of Mary? 
Okay? She was a virgin and gave birth. She's the mother of Jesus. Okay, there were other children besides... Okay? They don't believe that. That she only gave birth to Jesus, they believe. Okay, that may, you hear that? They believe that Mary was born without original sin. So, so what would you, how would you, what scripture would you use for that? Well, that just shows she was a humble woman and truly of God. Okay, there she said she needed a Savior. What other, what other verse that you could use to show Mary was not born without sin? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All includes all, okay? Um, if you talk to a lot of people today, they would say, well, we don't worship Mary. Um, that's just, we just kind of go through her to get to Jesus. Hail Mary, how does that go? Hail Mary, mother of, full of grace. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, right? So when you go in and confess your sin, they say, do five Hail Marys and... And our and ten our fathers, okay, or whatever. Exactly, Mary is elevated to the same position, and and see. This isn't like the Roman Catholic Church started with all these beliefs. Over the years, they started adding more, and it's all, it comes down, it's all about control. And you're going to see as we get to some of these others. And... Um, Okay, what can you think of a scripture or a principle that relates to that right there? Exactly. 1 Timothy 2.5, jot it down. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, it, it's, not like, it's not like we're attacking the Roman Catholic Church, but we're defining truth, and anything in the line that isn't truth gets attacked, okay? But you don't go through any priest, you don't go through Mary, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. 
But at the beginning of the dark... Now, see, the dark ages were dark because they chose to go into this bondage. The unbiblical doctrine of purgatory then came to light. And uh, that God sentences dead believers to a holding pen until their sins are fully paid for. And uh, this was another great um, contrived idea to control the population. It led to other false doctrines of prayers for the dead and indulgences. What are indulgences? Can anybody tell us what indulgences are? Go ahead. You you go you go to a lot of these foreign countries where Catholicism has been in power for a long time and just about any time of the day or night you can go to the church and there are people in there buying candles, lighting candles, going and praying and um, they buy what? Oh, I thought you said matches. And I, <laughs> and I man, they don't even give them matches for their candle? <laughs> Masses, okay. Right, you, you purchase a mass for your dead father or grandfather and to get them out of purgatory and, and get them into, into heaven. Um, what... What biblical grounds do you have for this? Against it. <laughs> okay. And you know, much of this comes from incorporating paganism. They they go into an area, and the pagans were already worshipped uh, a goddess, so they brought brought this in. And uh, a lot of these things, it's uh, it's called synchronism. They they just incorporate what's around them and add it in, and um, you find that it's. Um, it's been that way through all the ages. But they are violently opposed to anything that is contradictory to this. Now, in 1229 A.D., they prohibited Bible reading and said that only the clergy could interpret the Scriptures. And only the priesthood could um, 
could read the Scriptures, and they would bring to mankind um, the message that they needed to hear. There, there, any, any of the Bibles were hand-copied, okay? So it wasn't like everybody had Bibles. But there were passages of Scriptures. And what's amazing is you get in and look at church history, a lot of these churches would have sections of the Bible. And, and yet, from that, they were able to, to have a biblical church. But to, to seeing the danger of this, the Roman Catholic Church said, we are going to make it so that um, it is illegal now uh, for you to read the Bible. And um, what scriptures would you use for that to show, wait a minute, that isn't right. Earth. Okay. That that could be one. Okay. Um, Jeff mentioned Second Timothy two fifteen. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, if you wanted to twist that, they could say, well, that was Paul writing that to Timothy, who was the priest of such and such. But Okay. Okay. Jerry? Um, yeah, that's exactly true. And, and see, do we see any, do we see any, um, any outcroppings of that still yet today in any circles? What, Carol? Okay, the Amish is one. Um, see, I think there can be a danger that we see it right in our circles. Unless you've been to Bible college and seminary, you aren't equipped. The only purpose here is to help equip you, the work of the ministry is to equip the believers for the work of the ministry. And you have the same Word of God. You have the same Holy Spirit. You have the same tools available to you that I or anybody has available. So it's not like, oh, I need to run see what Dr. So-and-so says about this. I need to get alone with God. I'm not saying God doesn't use people, but 
we are to search the Scriptures. And, you know, I, I kind of have a pet peeve about, you know, every, every lifestyle, every occupation has its own set of language, you know what I'm saying? And, and in Christianity, we have that too. We talk about eschatology and soteriology and pneumatology and all these other things. And that's kind of secret code for... And I've always reacted to that. So we say, what's eschatology? Oh, you dummy, don't you know that's a study of end times? Well, why don't you just say, let's study end times? You know, I've always been a simpleton. But to me, I see that as a means of, I'm the laity. And I'm going to a seminar on soteriology. Soteriology, what's that? Well, it's the study of salvation. And, and oftentimes, I was told in Bible college, don't, get, don't develop too close a relationship with your people. They're still telling them that in Bible college. Why? A shepherd spends time with the sheep. Pardon? But but Paul said... Be you followers of me, even as I am of Christ. See, the thing is, I'm no different than anybody here. It's just God has put me in this and these. Uh, he put you as a postmaster and he's put you running an excavating business. And, and you know what I'm saying? He's put us, but we're all in this together. And, and in Revelation, he wrote to the churches and he said, you've learned the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What that is, is that the elevation of the laity, that, uh, not the laity, of the clergy above the laity, that there's a division here. Um, you know, I have preachers say to me, who do you fellowship with? Uh... You know, there's a lot of people in our church. First of all, I have a wife. I fellowship with her, and there's a lot of people in our church. And no, no, um, who do you who do you fellowship and fellow pastor? You know what? I know I'm a weird duck. All right. <laughs> I thought I'd get more amens than that, but. You know, I enjoy being preached to and everything, but it's not like I have to go fellowship with a preacher because he's the only one that can understand me. You know what? We're facing the same battles. We're in this together. It's not like, boy, I finally I can leave the sheep and go fellowship with some shepherds. No. And, and a lot of this springs 
we have a lot of carryover from the dark ages. And you're going to see a lot more of it as we go on. But um, these, these were doctrines that came in, and um, there were churches everywhere that um, said, no, we're not going along with infant baptism, and no, we're not going along with the praying to Mary, and no, we're not doing this. And they stayed true to the Word of God. And in the dark ages, those 1,200 years, 50, close to 50 million believers were killed. You, you think of, uh, that tells you a number of things. That tells you the work of God was going forward. And there were people that were being followers of Jesus Christ and people were getting saved that that many could be killed in 1,200 years. And in understanding that, um, realizing our statistics on that have to come from the enemies that killed them because... Most of the believers in these days, they weren't, their records were destroyed. They weren't able to, in fact, many of their, their churches were completely wiped out. And, and so our records in that, and we'll get into more of that later as we go on, but the bottom line in what I want us to realize today, do you know there's always a battle for truth? And we must earnestly contend for the truth. And it's not enough that I earnestly contend. You must earnestly contend. Because the only thing that's going to keep this church on truth is for you to know the truth. And, you know, there, there come other issues in every age. And it's important that we study to show ourselves approved unto God. Marvin. Marvin. You know, and, and to be, that's why we, we seek to live a pure life so that we can hear the Spirit. That's why we have to deal with sin, so we can be sensitive to the Spirit, because He's the one that guides us into truth. Yep. You know, no matter how you cut it, God designed His truth to be recorded, and it's through reading, and it's through study. I mean, He didn't write the first book of marriage, and so if you want to know all about marriage, you turn to the first book of marriage, and there you have bing, 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 bing. What? He filled the Bible, for example, with principles about marriage. He didn't have the first book of finances, so turn... Okay, we're going to study finances. There's principles throughout. And he said, I want you to search for it. We need to close. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that truth marches on. And Lord, that you said you would build your churches, your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And just the testimony.